Tuesday, March 27th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Allen, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser and from Million Dollar Portfolio Charlie Travers. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Hey there. Uh, we've got a lot for today's show. We've got earnings in the for profit education and drugstore industries. We're going to look at the natural gas industry, but we are going to start with housing. Home prices in January fell 3.8%, down to the lowest level since 2003. This is all according to the Case-Shiller Index, which tracks home prices in 20 metro areas across the United States. Jason, I'll start with you. What do you think? I'm, I'm guessing you're not surprised. No, I guess you know me too well by now. I mean, I'm not the biggest uh, bull on the housing market. I think that you know, a lot of what people are focusing on, they're trying to sort of figure out when we're going to get back to the way it was. And I think that that really – that statement – we're never going to get back to the way it was. You mean in the 90s when it was yeah, awesome and was the home prices were skyrocketing? Normal. That was very not normal. And so I think you know that's what a lot of people I think still have their minds on is when are we going to kind of get back to that that sort of uh, period of time? And really, we're not going to. I mean, that was a very abnormal period of time where there was a lot of speculation in the real estate market that was really bidding up the prices on those homes. And so we're paying the price for that now. Uh, it is important to note, I think, that housing is very local. And so when we look at places like Georgia, Compared to Virginia, that's not a fair fair comparison, at least northern Virginia. Um, California, obviously, has been killed with unemployment. But I don't suspect there's any real reason to see housing prices improving anytime soon. I mean, there are going to be, I think, a lot of houses going up on the market here. As spring comes around, the weather warms up. It kind of turns into house selling season. Uh, financing is still very difficult to get. A lot of people don't have the money to put down that they're going to be required to put down. And then to top it all off, you know, Bernanke's white paper on housing just back in the middle of January, uh, it's, it shows a lot of houses that are out there on banks' balance sheets and houses that are just going through the foreclosure process that are still going to come to market. And so there's not going to be a shortage of homes to buy. There's going to be a, an oversupply of them, which is going to, I, I think, just keep prices down for some time. Well, and Charlie, to Jason's point about sort of housing being localized, you look at this uh, index and of the 20 markets, in nine of them, housing prices are up. Um, but I guess, you know, obviously the overall is still not so rosy. Right. And it's, to Jason's point, it really is city by city. The places with the strong job markets, the DCs, the New Yorks, the Bostons, those are going to fare a little bit better than the Sun Belt states or the Rust Belt, the Ohio, the Michigan, the blue collar manufacturing uh, states. Uh, and so I think you have to pick your spots. You definitely do. And I think it's worth noting, too, that. Uh, you know, there are about 12 million homeowners out there right now that are underwater on their mortgage. And that compares to, uh, I think that's about six times the number that was in 2006. So there are still a lot of people out there that are trying to figure out exactly how to get out from under uh, the weight of, of a very, very <laughs> hit, hit housing market. And um, it's going to be a tough one for a while. I think. So let's talk about how investors can play this, because you look at, um, you know, the, the supply companies like Home Depot, uh, Lowe's, sort of the, the home improvement companies, I guess I should say, um, they're trading at 52-week highs. But also, just a check before we came in here, you look at uh, home builders, Toll Brothers, D.R. Horton, Hovnanian, um, they're also in the neighborhood of their 52-week highs. That doesn't seem like the, both those groups of stocks should be you know, trading at their 52-week highs. But what, you know, what's the play for investors here with, you know, if, as you believe, Jason, Housing is down, and it's it's going to be a while before it gets back up. Yeah, well, I think the rising tide of the stock market here lifts all boats. 
personally, I, I wouldn't touch home builders. I think there's just you know still too much to fall there. But I do like the idea of the companies that are going to benefit from you know a bounce in either home home purchases or rentals. Uh, so regardless, you know we're going to see people either buying houses or renting houses, and so that's why I think we see companies like Home Depot and even Lowe's to a degree performing well. Uh, home Depot is you know got a an incredible national scale. It's it's pretty much synonymous with home repair, so it doesn't surprise me that they're doing well. Another uh, play that I would look at is one that's it certainly flies under the radar of probably a lot of people, but it's Scott's Miracle Grow. It's one that we cover over in Stock Advisor, and they're steering away from their dependence on the big box uh, retailers like Walmart and Target and going a more direct to consumer route via, you know, the local hardware stores and uh, you know, even Amazon to a degree. And so regardless of whether people are buying or renting, those are things that need to be done. Yards need to be kept up. And, and so forth. And uh, those are some interesting ways to look at it. Shares of for-profit education company Apollo Group down as much as 8% earlier today. Uh, Apollo Group owns the University of Phoenix. Second quarter earnings came in better than expected, Charlie. What what gives? I've been following the for-profit space for a couple of years now. And the big question around Apollo Group, which owns the University of Phoenix, it's the largest for-profit university in the country, was when was this company going to stop the bleeding? Because quarter after quarter, as the... Uh, turmoil around the industry is going on with the uh, industry under investigation by Congress and the Department of Education, uh, that had a spillover effect. And it made students not want to go to these institutions because they felt like they were ripping ripping you off, you're paying too high a tuition for what you're getting. And while this was going on over the past couple of years, uh, University of Phoenix enrollment and Apollo Group is just reporting abysmal numbers. They've lost 100,000 students over the last two years, uh, down from 400-something thousand down into the 300s right now. And what they said in this quarter is that they kindly finally put a halt. It looks like there's a floor in and the decline has stopped. Um, but that's a little solace because they guided some awful numbers for this fiscal year. Revenue is going to be down 12% year over year and their operating income is down 45%. Uh, so, you know, I think the tide has turned on the enrollment, but the financial picture still hasn't improved. And that's the big story. Well, and you mentioned Congress. We had talked about that in the past uh, where there was essentially this cloud over the entire industry and uh, the uncertainty of what is Congress going to do, what is the administration going to do. The Department of Edu- uh, Education came out with regulations which, you know, uh, frankly, <laughs> were not that tough. No. Um, uh, and I think that sort of removed that cloud for the industry in general. Yeah, they set a hurdle where you have to be afoul of their benchmarks for three years in a row before something bad happens. It gives the these institutions plenty of time to adjust and make sure that their students are graduating and repaying their loans and so on. Uh, and so what you'll see in this industry is that the high-flying growth era is gone, and you will see slower growth and lower profit margins. But all in all, the industry is going to be fine. What's a key metric for investors to look at, regardless whether it's Apollo Group or any of these others? What's what's something they should be looking at? Is it student churn? Is it turnover? What is it? Well, I mean, that's a good word. They, these do have dynamics that are almost like a subscription business, like we'll talk mm-hmm. about with uh, you know the entertainment providers like a Netflix. You know, it is students coming in; they want to keep them as long as they can. Uh, so that really is the key metric to track. Um, Apollo Group, Devry, Corinthian Colleges, Education Management. They're all in the for-profit space. No. They are all losing to the market over the last year. Is is 
Is there anyone for investors to look to? It's been absolutely brutal for these stocks for about 18 months. Um, the two companies uh, we like here at The Fool, and we spent a lot of time looking for the best companies in the space. Uh, the first one would be American Public Education. They cater to a military audience. This is uh, known as probably the highest quality business in the space, and as accordingly, the stock trades at a premium to its peers. Uh, the stock that we like that is trading at a massive discount is Bridgepoint Education, and they're uh, in Enrollments have held up far better than a lot of the competitors, which is one of the reasons we like them. Walgreens' second quarter earnings fell nearly 8%, but analysts were expecting worse. And the stock was up slightly today. That's always a nice thing, isn't it? It's like, wow, that wasn't nearly as horrible as we thought it was going to be. Yeah, so earnings were down slightly, and they had some issues with, uh, you know, customers coming in, not getting as many flu shots due to the warmer-than-expected weather, which I am not complaining about. I loved it. (laughs) And, you know, walking away from the Express Scripts contract, which cost them some business as well. But in the long run, you know, our population is getting older. We need our local pharmacies. There's, you know, there is a trend towards getting your prescriptions by mail, but I think a lot of people like having a pharmacist to talk to and ask questions. And Walgreens is one of the best positioned companies in the space. Uh, It's a strong dividend payer, and I think the stock looks good here. Yeah, Jason, Charlie mentioned this. We've talked before about companies that use the weather as an excuse. I mean, I'm quoting here from the Wall Street Journal, a mild cold and flu season reduced profit by three cents per share. Really? I mean, I mean, I don't know. That's just, I mean, is it that big an effect? I don't know. I mean, we kick it around all the time. You know, we what we talked about, uh, it was Dick Sporting Goods. I think that one time we were saying how the warmer winter contributed, you know, strongly to their golf galaxy model and it offset yep. any losses in their winter uh, gear. I, I, it's it's hard to say, really. I mean, it does seem somewhat logical that, I mean, if we have a milder winter and, and, and there are less flu shots given, then that's going to sort of keep keep traffic from coming mm. in the store. So I see the logic there. Um, anybody else we should expect? I mean, we've, we, we've talked about Dick's Sporting Good in the past. We, I know we've talked about Home Depot. The, I mean, Home Depot talked in their latest quarterly earnings about the effect of the weather on them. Anyone else going to come out and, and say, yeah, we benefited? Or in the case of Walgreens said, yeah, actually, we, you know, we're really hurt by the mild winter. Well, yeah, I mean, the mild winter for sure, natural gas. I mean, you're seeing prices at an all-time low here. And, uh, it's a mild winter is basically cut back on the need for natural gas to heat homes and, and whatnot. So you're seeing natural gas prices at an all-time low, and uh, you know the companies that really depend on finding that natural gas are taking a hit as well. But you know the consumers in turn benefit because no there's a couple of years ago we had an absolutely brutal winter and the gas bills go through the roof, and so you get a winter like this, you should have more money in your pocket to spend on other things. So when the retailers are complaining, oh our traffic is down, while wow, consumers have more money to spend, there's an element of that argument that doesn't really hold up. That's that's exactly right. I mean, I think it makes a good point that consumers do win here uh, in the end there, and also consumers have a chance typically with electric uh, companies to go ahead and and set like a fixed rate on their bill to to sort of avoid. The those fluctuating gas prices. Uh, you know, it's tough to say. I think that really natural gas, what we're seeing is a tremendous supply that is chasing people away from that natural gas market now. And the, the companies that uh, normally explore for that natural gas are trying to find oil now. Um, so we'll kind of see how that goes. But just just as natural gas, it, oil, they're very cyclical. One is up, the other one's down, and it sort of flip-flops, and we'll see it go on and on. Um, so natural gas prices, and this was another story that came out this morning, you know, hit a 10-year low. Um, natural gas prices are half what they were last July. Yep. That seems like 
an incredible drop in in less than a year. It's been a whole lot of fracking going but, on. Well, yeah. I, I was just going to say. I mean, is it is it all the mild winter, or is there overproduction? Is it a combination of both? Oh no, I think it's definitely yeah. more overproduction. I think companies are getting out there that over the last five years. It's been just an extreme move towards finding these resources and and fracking to, to no end of to, to get to them. And so consequently, we are seeing what the, the benefits of having an oversupply of something is that the prices fall and some people win from that and right. some people don't. And gas is one of the most volatile commodities around. I remember it was in two, 2008 when energy was booming, gas went from 7 to 13 in no time at all. So I wouldn't say this is out of the ordinary for gas prices to move like that in that short amount of time. Yep. So when you look at the natural gas industry writ large, there are a lot of players. You've got sort of the producers like Chesapeake, but you've also got companies like Westport Innovations, you know, designing engines to run on natural gas. Cummins is a company that actually manufactures those engines. What's a stock that investors can keep their eye on with, you know, keeping in mind that natural gas prices are at a 10-year low? Right. And so when I look at this, I mean, the thing about natural gas prices and oil prices, really in any commodity prices, that they are low, they will go back up. So what happens when natural gas go back, goes back up? It becomes less, there becomes less of an economic argument for it. So I love the fact that, that companies like Clean Energy Fuels and Cummins and Westport are out there, you know, going after this natural gas space. But when natural gas prices rise, it does become a little bit less economically viable. So what I look for, whether it's natural gas or oil, I don't want just a pure play. I'm really looking for the big daddies in there that do a little bit of it all. And so you look at companies like Exxon, I think it's a good one, and even Halliburton, that are not just exposed to natural gas or oil, but both really. And so you have Exxon, which is the biggest explorer out there, and you have Halliburton, which is one of the biggest uh, the, one of the biggest service companies out there and the largest fracking operator in the world. You know, Those are companies that I feel are going to be able to sort of they're not going to get hit one way or the other when prices fall. I would love to buy in the natural gas while it's down but not out. But what my problem is with this industry is you look at companies like Ultra Petroleum, where a lot of fools are really bullish on this stock, or Chesapeake, which is one of the lowest cost producers. Their balance sheets are abysmal. These companies have a ton of debt and very little cash. And so, you know, the kind of company I'd be looking into is one that Jason mentioned, which is ExxonMobil, which has huge natural gas exposure from their acquisition of XTO. And they have a balance sheet that doesn't keep me up at night. Isn't that the, I don't know, the investor equivalent of just betting on the Yankees every year? IBM. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but at least they'll win from time to time. Yeah, I mean, you gotta... It's better than the bad news bears. Uh, I'm just a bitter Red Sox fan. Uh, finally, uh, our friend and colleague Joe Mager is at home today. He's not sick. He's he, not angry. He's he's not angry. Uh, he's uh, he might be angry. Maybe we don't know. He is dealing, and this is uh, straight from an email from Joe. He is dealing with quote a last minute wedding snafu involving flowers. Oh, Joe. Um, we are just five days away from Joe getting married. Uh, first, before we get to advice for Joe, any any last minute? I mean, you guys are both married. Any last minute wedding snafu stories? Sure. Yes. So uh, my wife and I planned our wedding from the Middle Atlantic area. We got married down in Atlanta, so we did a lot of the planning from up here. Uh, and we had ordered a cake from a bakery down in Peachtree City. And as our wedding came closer, you know, we'd put the deposit and had the confirmation the guy was going to make the cake and everything. When we got there a couple of days before the wedding, we found that the bakery had subsequently closed down. <laughs> and we were like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so he, he did... Uh, he did say he would get the cake made for us, but then the day of the wedding, uh, he called to say that he had the cake, but because he had to close up shop, he didn't have a way to deliver it to us, and that I was going to have to come get it. And I, you know, all I could see was 
me going to get this, you know, five or six layer cake and just dropping it and ruining the wedding. And so when I <laughs> I told my soon to be wife that she got on the phone and quickly told this guy that he was going to deliver that cake and that if he didn't, he wasn't going to like where he ended up. And he did, and it worked out okay. But man, it was it was scary. She's a can-do woman. That it bride showed of yours. me what yeah. she is capable of. It yeah. showed me what any woman is capable of. <laughs> yeah. Joe. One piece of advice for you, just go with it. Whatever she says, just say yes, dear. Good rule of thumb. Charlie? Ours was literally at the last minute. So we've been married for 11 years. We got married at an art gallery. uh, And it was about 10 minutes past the time the ceremony was supposed to start, and the officiant still hadn't showed up. And we're like, huh. That's you know so, yeah it's really sweating bullets at that point. If it's like the best man or yeah. or a guest that you really care about, you can still pull it off. But without the efficient, yeah, I was hoping to have my buddy just kind of you know stand in, say a few words. I do, I do. You're done. What happened? She eventually got there. <laughs> How long did you have to wait? It was about 15 minutes total late which is making me really nervous. My mother-in-law is a complete wreck, as you might imagine. I was going to say, how was uh, how was Brandy through all this? Uh, we kind of kept her away from the clock. I think she's a little oblivious. Smart move. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll just echo uh, for Joe what Jason said. Just, you know, if it's if you're just days or hours or minutes away from your wedding, just just roll with it. Just roll with it because you'll get through it. The, alter- mean, the alternative is the Chris Rock line. One me. What's that? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Th- that can work. Yeah. I've heard. Yeah. I've heard that can work. Uh, drop us an email, radio at fool.com. If you have any last-minute advice for Uncle Joe Mager before he walks down the aisle, again, we are just five days away and counting. So radio at fool.com. Send us those emails. We will make sure Joe gets them. Charlie Travers, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.